0: 1st of April, 2019, and this is episode 107. On today's program, doctoral student Percy Lunn, studying at the University of St Andrews, talks about his research into the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra and the London Symphony Orchestra during the Great War. Percy spoke to me over the internet from Berlin. Hi, Percy. Welcome to the podcast. Can you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra and the London Symphony Orchestra during the Great War?
1: Well, thank you very much for having me today, Tom, first of all, and uh, I'm absolutely delighted uh, to share my research with you today. Um, My name is Percy. I'm a doctoral candidate at the University of St. Andrews, and for this academic year, I'm also a visiting scholar at the Humboldt University of Berlin. Um, Since I was a little boy, um, I've been listening to classical music recordings, watching videos of the conductors and I always thought that these orchestras, these two orchestras are the best. The sounds are the most sumptuous and fascinating and uh, I visited you know Berlin and London in the past and you know I'm absolutely, I was absolutely captivated by both of these orchestras and the performances and I started my musical training when I was four and um, I've been fond and keen on classical music ever since and during my previous degrees at Cambridge and Durham um, I looked at the history of the Berlin Philharmonic during the Third Reich and the history of the Berlin Philharmonic during the Nazification uh, in Berlin and I just thought that it is logical for me to explore uh, the Berlin Philharmonic's history even further and uh, I thought that you know there's so much comparative and transnational studies uh, in the literature now, but there's hardly any on music, especially on symphony orchestras. And with the centenary of the First world coming up when I began my doctoral project, seeing the social, political, economic, military history being widely uh, researched and the cultural history of visual arts, sculpture, and cinema, and popular music also being researched, I thought, ah, that's a lacuna in the literature, about classical music. So I thought, that's why don't I do this? And I thought this would be a nice contribution to the literature. So that's how I became fascinated in my project in the first place.
0: Before we talk about both orchestras during the war, can you give us um, a rough profile of what they were like in the, sort of the decade or so running up to the war? Um, obviously, the Berlin Philharmonic in Wilhelm, Germany, and the London Symphony Orchestra in Edwardian, London.
1: Yes, interesting. Actually, both orchestras uh, started with an act of uh, rebellion, with the musicians being unhappy with the previous orchestras and deciding to form a new one. Uh, the Berlin Philharmonic uh, was formed in 1882, and 15 members uh, of a previous orchestra called the Buse uh, Ensemble were unhappy with their contracts because they were paid as much as day laborers back then, and that was not much. And when they were touring around Europe, one time they were even asked to travel in fourth class and they were extremely unhappy with such poor treatment. And they decided to set up their own ensemble and work at their own risk. And one of the reasons uh, they away from the old orchestra was because they heard some other orchestras in germany at the time and they were absolutely impressed by the standard and they knew that if they stayed at the old orchestra they would never be able to achieve such a standard such a profession in the music so they formed their own orchestra they hired a very influential orchestral manager called herman wolf and then they formed a cooperative and every musician had a responsibility for the orchestra which had its own administration and had a board elected annually and all members were subjugated to discipline and regulations. And the London Symphony Orchestra, at the same time, you know, uh, no, not at the same time. They were began beginning in 1904. And um, but to understand how the London Symphony Orchestra was formed, we must know what the musical scene in London in the early 20th century was like. It was quite ridiculous, to be honest, because at the time, the professional orchestras in London, such as the Queen's Hall Orchestra and the Royal Philharmonic, hired players individually for each series of concerts for each performance the finest players were always under great demand and it was common practice um, that even though a player was under contract to play for a concert he could accept a better paid engagement if it were offered uh, such as in places like music halls famous restaurants famous hotels Um, he would then find another player to deputize for him for the original concerts and rehearsals so that was a common joke back then Uh, that was a whom the conductor warns signs to play at your concerts he sends b who you don't mind to the first rehearsal and b without your knowledge or consent sends c to the second rehearsal and not being able to play at the concert c sends d instead to the concert to perform now in 1904 the queen's hall orchestra's leading figures uh, Henry uh, Robert Newman, the manager, and Henry Wood, the conductor, were absolutely tired of this because they were conducting concerts and rehearsals with faces that they've never seen before in their lives. So one day they told the players that there will be no more deputies, and that's it. Good morning, everyone. No more deputies. Uh, the players were very unhappy because, um, you know, being able to choose and select what they want to do is how they make the money. So... Um, Some brass players broke away from the orchestra and then uh, held a meeting with previous and uh, present players of the Queen's Hall Orchestra. And then they formed a new ensemble called the London Symphony Orchestra and to be run along cooperative lines. And they will be totally independent. What is interesting is that both orchestras were formed from unhappiness and displeasure with the original orchestra. They formed a cooperative orchestra, giving players a say and responsibility for their own orchestra. And they were a- both able to secure some of the finest conductors at the time: Hans von Bülow for Berlin and Hans Richter for London. And uh, when they began to uh, perform a concert giving uh, in the uh, primitive years, they were extremely popular in uh, this in society, and which helped them to grow their reputation and to develop as an ensemble. And these famous conductors, um, you know. As well, um, invited many famous composers at the time like Johannes Brahms or Richard Strauss to conduct these orchestras to further uh, their reputation and to grow uh, as an
0: instrumental ensemble. And did these orchestras have much contact uh, with each other before the war?
1: As far as I'm aware, the two orchestras have completely no contact with each other. Uh, unlike in the modern days when players you know, always um, guest performed in another orchestra. Um, but the principal conductor of the Berlin Philharmonic at the time was a guy called Arthur Nikisch. He was Hungarian, and he led the Berlin Philharmonic between 1895 and 1922. And naturally, he also led the orchestra during the First World War. The only link between both orchestras was that Nikisch was also a popular conductor, guest conductor with the London Symphony Orchestra before uh, the First World War. And uh, I think one of the interesting anecdotes uh, that I should add is that the London Symphony Orchestra went on tour uh, to the USA in 1912, and they were actually booked to sail on the Titanic. And uh, their travel arrangements were changed at the very, very last minute, and they sailed on the Baltic instead. And I'm sure um, the audience would agree with me to say that's the music history of the orchestra, and the musical scene in London would have been very different had the orchestra traveled originally on the Titanic. What I must add is that while both orchestras had absolutely no contact with each other before the war, they did uh, for the first time, uh, for the centenary celebration of the First World War in 2014. The Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra uh, chief Conductor, Sir Simon Rattle, one of the most famous and uh, profound uh, conductors and musicians in Britain uh, at the time, uh, at, at present time, And he conducted the Berlin Philharmonic between 2002 and 2018. And he also took up the music directorship of the London Symphony in 2017. And in 2014, he conducted an unprecedented collaboration of both of these orchestras and recorded two pieces, one by German composer Johannes Brahms and the other by British composer George Butterworth for a First World War Commemoration event at the St. Symphoria Military Cemetery near Mons in Belgium which was attended by then PM David Cameron and members of the royal family. This cemetery was a final resting place for both British and German soldiers. So I find it most fitting of drawing uh, both of these two orchestras, most prominence in the country in 1914 and still the most prominence in the country in 2014 to record these two pieces for this occasion. I don't think anyone could have done this apart from Sir Simon Reto because no other musician or conductor um, could do this so effectively and affectionately. Um, you know, Sir Simon has always had a profound connection with both countries and both orchestras. And by doing this, uh, recording music for this uh, occasion, Uh, They not only commemorated the centenary of the start of the war, but also allowed musicians from the world's two leading orchestras to collaborate, to acknowledge the vastly influential and impressive musical traditions of both countries, and to showcase the power of classical music in providing uh, emotional solace.
0: Now we we turn to the orchestras during the war. Did the declaration of war in August 1914 affect the character and nature of the programmes of the music that they performed?
1: one of the reasons that i did this uh, i'm doing this doctoral project is that i've been reading in the literature so uh, so much that historians are talking about how foreign productions are being banned and banished and shunned in countries how german productions were you know uh, boycotted in britain and vice versa however this was simply not the case, uh, as I studied the programmes of both of these orchestras. Uh, is there, uh, uh, were there any differences? Were there any significant differences? Yes, uh, the London Symphony Orchestra held, held something called a British Music Festival, something that they have never done before. Um, it's the first of such a thing in the history. They perform many new British works commissioned by uh, the orchestra, composers like Arnold Bax, Granville Bantock. Um, that's definitely a national verve. Uh, but the extent is uh, questionable because the largest percentage of works performed by the London Symphony Orchestra before and during the war, sorry, five years before and the five seasons during the war were by Austro-German composers. The percentage of uh, British works did increase during the war, but, uh, you know, to provide patriotic entertainments, but Austro-German works were still far more popular. And what was interesting is that before the war, Uh, The most commonly played uh, nine composers, only one of them was British. He was uh, Sir Edward Elgar, one of the most beloved composers then and now. And um, during the war, uh, the most popular composers were almost the same. Beethoven, Brahms, Schubert, Schumann, and Elger themselves. So that wasn't really a sudden surge of British nationalist compositions uh, at the time. Despite the patriotic atmosphere and the nation at war, the classical music-loving Brits, which means the uh, middle-class or the upper-class aristocrats or the intellectuals, still seem to embrace Austro-German music true british music did you know become more popular but australian music still dominated the literature uh, the uh, repertoire and the concert scene thomas beecham was one of the most uh, influential and controversial conductors at the time and he conducted many london symphony orchestra concerts and he remarked after a particularly poorly attended concerts of British music that he has successfully paved the way for another quarter century of German music. And uh, at one London symphony concert in 1915, uh, the British composer Granville Bantock's Hebridean Symphony replaced the Brahms's Second Symphony at the last minute. The British composer Donald Tovey said that Bantock's work was a mere bore. And this came from a British composer. And one of the audience members even quipped, that such a substitution had done more for the cause of German music than playing the Brahms would have. Um, While this seems to be very, you know, uh, uh, um, a to British music tradition, it kind of showed how popular German music was in Britain at the time. And for my um, arguments that there's such a continuity uh, from pre-war to wartime, the Berlin Philharmonic also engaged in such a continuity. The most popular pieces performed before the war and during the war were almost the same, uh, by pieces by Wagner, by Weber, by Brahms, by Bach, by uh, uh, Beethoven, by Schubert and Schumann. Um, I can actually group the most popular composers as into the three Bs: Bach, Beethoven, Brahms; the two Ws: Wagner and Weber; the two Ss: Schubert and Schumann; and the two M's: Mozart and uh, Mendelssohn. And whether you want to talk about whether the Berlin Philharmonic played any enemies' compositions during the war, absolutely, they continued to play French music, Russian music, and Italian music during the war. So that was not such a you know shunning uh, foreign music or enemies' music per se. What's what's, what's interesting, a story is that the Berlin Philharmonic, for the five years before the war, only played 15 pieces of British music, and during the war, zero. And at the time, they still played French music and Italian music and Russian music, but they stopped playing British music. So this seems to be that the Germans uh, were looking down upon the British musical tradition. And indeed, in the early 20th century, there was a popular German pamphlet in society called Das Land ohne Musik, the country without music, to describe Britain. So I guess, uh, you know, uh, that's how the the Germans view British music tradition, musical tradition. French, Russian music, yeah, we're going to continue to play with it. But British music, nah, we're good. And did the war affect the
0: orchestras in other ways, in terms of conscription of members, rationing? Uh,
1: yes. Um, the London Symphony Orchestra actually lost 20% of its membership to the army. And they still boldly declared that they would continue playing concerts. Um, they con- uh, they uh, you know, commanded the patriotic actions of these musicians um, you may wonder, so where did the London Symphony orchestras uh, find the, ex- these extra musicians? Well, probably because of the influence of the suffragette movement at the time. And during the war, the London Symphony began admitting quite a significant number of female musicians to the ranks, and one, one, was one of the first orchestras in the world to female-affiliated uh, feature uh, fem- uh, female women musicians. But on the other hand, uh, with the Berlin Philharmonic, despite they losing 20% of its players to the army, they did not consider accepting women into the ranks at all. And they called in substitutes from the other orchestras and music institutes. One of the interesting things um, with the Berlin Philharmonic is that um, they substituted a lot of pieces uh, for concerts at the last minute, um, because they always lost um, lower brass players to the army. Now, I'm not trying to be discriminatory, but Um, you know, in in the past and in the present, lower brass players are usually the bigger, stronger men and sometimes even boasted how they have the lungs for war. So it seems that the lower brass players were the ones that that were most keen to go to war and they always lose them and they have to play classical music uh, from the classical period because Romantic period or modern works always required trombones and tubers um, and these players were already gone to the western fronts or the eastern fronts to fight for their country.
0: You don't happen to be a string player by any chance.
1: I am not a string player. I am a brass player and conductor. So, <laughs> uh, so yes, uh, the, you know, all the troublemakers are always from the lower brass. Oh, you know? I
0: know. I, I've <laughs> I played in brass bands and orchestras um, in my time. So I do appreciate what you're saying. So now we come to the armistice. Now, what impact did um, the armistice have on both institutions after, immediately after the war?
1: It is quite interesting to compare both orchestras. That's the London Symphony Orchestra's finance, actually became worse and worse, and they uh, got into a precarious situation in 1917. that uh, they couldn't, you know, uh, uh, stage any concerts anymore, and it was agreed in a, in a uh, extraordinary general meeting that no further symphony orchestra concerts will be given until uh the war they did give some sunday league concerts uh, for popular music but nothing serious until mid-1919 because they were crippled financially and after the war the strikes the material shortages and the economic recession also impacted the orchestra and actually the spanish flu uh, epidemic killed thousands of people and large public gatherings in concert halls were shunned for health reasons. And it was also quite um, uh, a phenomenon that cinema became so popular in the 1920s that the classical music scene scene did uh, dip a little bit uh, after the first world war Uh, but the Berlin Philharmonic actually did not um, suffer any of these problems on the other hand they they gained uh, power and uh, got more and more powerful as the war went on they actually performed more and more concerts Uh, from 1914 to 1918, and they continued going strong, giving hundreds of concerts every season after the war. So they certainly did not um, have such a uh, bad uh, uh, influence as the London Symphony, which is quite ironic because Germany did lose the war and they were more crippled economically. But I guess this just shows how important music was to German societies at the time some sort of um, nourishment for the soul that uh, people would still go to classical symphony concerts um, and uh, spend money in this uh, entertainment. And did the war have any lasting
0: impact on players in both orchestras?
1: 20% of the London Symphony orchestras were drafted into the army, and that, that means uh, 34 players. And it was quite uh, miraculous that during such a long war, only one player from the London Symphony Orchestra uh, was killed. Uh, and he was the trometer Sidney mosson um, and um, there are there were some other london symphony orchestra musicians sustaining devastating injuries some uh like a french horn player henry ja- harry jackson were kicked in face by a horse and some players suffered physical and psychological injuries that they never recovered from but i think the most interesting case is the case of adolf bostoff uh, adolf Borsdorf could never his case could never be ignored because he was not just any musician, he was one of the finest French horn players at the time. That was widely recognized. But what was most interesting and important was that Adolf Borsdorf was also the founder of the London Symphony Orchestra. Um, He made everything happen and he managed to form the first symphony orchestra in the British capital. And though born in Germany, he had been living in Britain for more than 30 years. He married a British wife. He had teaching positions at the Royal Academy, at the Royal College of Music. And uh, he revolutionized the uh, style of horn playing uh, in Britain. But uh, it is sad that all his links to Britain and the fact that he founded the LSO was not enough for the LSO members. The fact that he was born in Germany uh, meant that the players began, you know, become very scared or, uh, you know, Hating of, a hatred of him, and he was demoted in the orchestra. And after a campaign supported by all LSO musicians to get rid of the founders, including blackmailing him, threatening him, and throwing bricks at his house, um, you know, he was forced to resign. And um, he never played the horn again. And I think that his career and livelihood were a casualty of war without him ever having joined the armed forces.
0: And finally, Percy, where can people learn more about your research?
1: Well, I just began the third year of my PhD, so it's still very much work in progress, and there's still a lot of uh, analytical work that needs to be done. Uh, But I do hope to publish a couple of journal articles in the latter stages of my PhD, uh, as well as hopefully a book uh, upon the completion of my research. But for now, I think it's much more reading, much more writing, much more researching, and uh, much more work to be done. Percy, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.
0: You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition.